As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. I'm Michael Saka. I'm Joelle Steiniger. And I'm Matt Goldman. And we're having 20 minute talks with entrepreneurs teaching you how to launch your product into revenue. Check out our book at howtobuildarocketship.com to reserve your launch discount and to download a free chapter. Today, we talked with Zach Holman, one of the first engineers at GitHub. We learned about how their culture and process have changed over the years from fewer than 10 to about 250 employees now. He details which bits of process were necessary and helped them scale, as well as which aspects of their culture they fought successfully to defend over the years. We'd like to take a moment to thank our awesome sponsors. CodeShip makes continuous delivery simple and easy. Go to codeship.com slash rocketship to get 20% off three months. 
We'd also like to thank Envision App. Envision is by far the best prototyping and collaboration tool on the market. Go to Envision App forward slash rocket ship to get the starter plan free for 90 days. Customer.io is a modern email platform built for startups. Go to customer.io slash rocket ship to start sending emails that convert. Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. We're here with Zach Holman, one of the first engineering hires at GitHub. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So um, for for those that, that may not know, give us the quick overview of GitHub. So GitHub is a way to share code with other people. Um, we have a bunch of tools on our website that basically help you write code with other people. If that's somebody on your open source project, or if that's someone in your small company, or if that's somebody in your large company like uh, Microsoft, Google, um, Yahoo, they all end up using GitHub to help build their own product. So you were hired at GitHub in 2010, um, and there was, what, under 10 employees then? Yeah, it would have been the ninth. Ninth. So what was that, what did that look like um, in terms of kind of the, the work? How did you guys work then? Um, man, those were fun days. They, uh, my first week um, was the last week without an office at GitHub. Um, at that point, I think there was probably six or seven of us, eight of us maybe, in San Francisco. But even at that point, I mean, they never really had a use for an office at, um, until my second week. And then we moved into our first tiny closet of an office. Um, but we still kind of operated like, you know, we didn't have this office for years after that. Um, it was just a really fun time. It was, uh, everyone really knew each other. Um, it was classic startup, uh, where you could, you know, work for a little bit during the day, go out for lunch, work in the afternoon, kind of work whenever you want to work. Uh, it's, it's exciting to work that way. Nice. So has that changed as you guys have grown? It's, uh, you know, it's definitely evolved. Um, the core is certainly the same. Um, I mean, it's, 10 in the morning right now, I'm in my PJs at home and I probably won't get to work for another hour or two. Um, so it's still very much flexibility in terms of, um, your work hours. Um, if I don't want to roll into work today at all and I want to work really late at night tonight, um, which I probably will because my time zones are all crazy right now. Um, that's still totally cool. Um, we still do a lot of, um, stuff through chat. Um, we're still two thirds remote, which ends up having a pretty big impact on uh, your culture, how to mm. do meetings, how to do um, just basically communicate with the rest of the company. So things have changed because um, we're 230 people now, but they've evolved in different ways while still keeping the core idea of how we work, I think, if that makes sense. Yeah. So how do they track kind of like keep everyone on track moving forward? It's a variety of different ways. Um, kind of the thing I like to say is regardless of how you work, people tend to know how people work. Um, for example, like if you're working with somebody and or if you're working with me and I am just, you know, not working or I'm, you know, off in la la land and not really contributing to the project, uh, the people I work with on my team specifically will tend to know that. Um, so it's not necessarily via some check-in process where we don't look at your hours or anything like that. Um, you tend to just know based on, you know, working with people over time, like 
what type of code have you submitted this week? You know, um, stuff like that. So it's a lot of informal controls, some formal controls, um, but I don't know, it works out pretty well still. So in the case that someone's not um, doing something right, what happens then? Um, usually it's just talking to people. Uh, a lot of cases it's sort of been, you know, a lot of the times with such a remote company, um, it can be intimidating, I guess, to try and figure out like, well, where do I fit in? You know, I don't, I don't see your face every single day next to me, uh, in the office. Um, so it's really just sitting down and doing a Skype interview or a Google talk or just talking in a chat room and just seeing, well, is there anything we can do to help you out to get through these blockers? Um, are you not familiar with the code that you're working on, which is definitely the case with so many different projects going on. Um, and it's just mostly communication, trying to figure out, you know, how can I help you in your own job, go forward and you know, build cool stuff. Do you guys do anything, uh, unique or specific in your hiring process to find people that are, um, I guess more of a, a self-starter type of, a, a person? I think so. Um, it's, that's a really hard quality to, uh, to, to, to quantify, I guess. I mean, you can't just ask somebody like, well, are you a self-starter? You know? Right. So I, I didn't know if you guys have like a, an interesting way to, um, maybe identify some of those qualities in people. Um, no, <laughs> <There's> no magic. <laughs> um, a lot of the times it's sort of getting a feel for somebody if they, you know, if they do side projects on their own, that's usually a pretty clear indicator. Um, or even, I don't even care about side projects necessarily. If it's, if they're a writer on the side or if they, you know, take an interest in, you know, anything, um, that they wouldn't normally, you know, maybe they just sit on a couch all weekend or something like that. It's a terrible categorization, but, um, sometimes you can sort of get the feel for somebody if they would work better in a really flexible environment like ours. Um, and it's, you know, Sometimes we mess up, sometimes um, prospective hires mess up and they think that they would be as successful and they just aren't. And it's not like, you know, not everybody can really work in the fashion that we work in. That's, that's cool. Uh, we just need to identify that kind of earlier on and, you know, figure out ways to help both of us. So, so is GitHub still structured pretty flat like it was in the early days? Um, we have some management now. Um, Gasp. Yeah. Um, and it's, it takes place in a different bunch of different forms. Um, it's not strictly project managers. It's not strictly um, personnel managers. Um, it sort of depends on which team you're on and what sort of things you're doing. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's complicated. It depends on a team-by-team team situation, I guess. And not too long ago, you guys raised... You were bootstrapped for a really long time, and then you raised a bit of money. What did that change in the company? For one, we had a lot of money, <laughs> um, which had a couple different implications. One was uh, safety. Um, and safety was kind of the biggest um, benefit, to be honest. Um, and by safety, I mean, you know, a patent troll just can't come around and just destroy our whole business because they're asking for like $2 million of you know, money for some crappy patent or something. Um, so there's some benefit just to having war chest for unforeseen you know, business things that can happen. Um, another benefit is we could finally build out a nice office that made sense for us. Um, after the first office, we moved to a second office, which was cramped and, you know, we just got too big for it. 
and our landlord hated us. Um, so we finally got to a place that, you know, we're really comfortable in. It's really big. We can, you know, build it to our specifications and we just feel like we're, you know, much more comfortable settings when people come in from out of town or when I go into work, um, and work there. So, you know, money's helpful for that as well. Um, and then, you know, just more personnel and hiring as well. Um, it's, you know, there are benefits for being bootstrapped. There's also benefits for, um, having a little bit more runway and, um, specifically letting you work on really tough problems and not having to worry as much about the costs associated with them. Um, for example, uh, Adam is our text editor and we've been working on that technically for, I don't know, four or five, six years or something crazy like that. Um, and over the last like two or three years, it had grown to a team of three or four or something. Um, and it was a little bit easier to just sort of say, all right, go work on this really long-term project and not feel like you have to ship arbitrarily next month. Um, just because, you know, we've been doing this for a long time and it worked out we shipped that and, you know, we felt really good even though we had spent a lot of years working on that technology. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. Dot com. That's business.att.com. That's such a big part of this job is just getting stuff shipped out regularly. It's yeah. so, uh, so re-energizing. You can go into these dev holes and just disappear for a while and have no feedback from anybody. And the second you push anything out, no matter how small it is, it's like a, a new boost. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's not even just for you. It's for the rest of the team as well. Um, yeah. We had a all hands uh, kind of summit um, in another city in uh, was it July of this year, and right before that, we had sort of a stop on shipping things, um, just because we didn't want to have support team get inundated with all this new support requests on all this new code that we had just shipped. So we kind of had like a week or two off from you know shipping things as people went into kind of maintenance mode and polishing mode, and then the week afterwards everybody shipped a whole bunch of different things and you end up with this kind of culture of like, Oh man, everybody's doing all this cool stuff. I want to get mine out there. And you know, the last month or so has been really exciting as everyone's kind of, you know, caught the bug and you know, kept shipping and shipping and shipping. So how do you guys keep everything on track with, with such a big product and such a big team and so much shipping? How do you keep, um, is there a roadmap there or are you just trusting the roadmap? Yeah. Um, we've been doing, I don't know, we've probably taken four or five different uh, approaches this year even, trying to figure out the best way. Um, we started out in a repository on GitHub trying to figure out, well, do we want to file an issue and then sort of update the issue as we go? Um, then we built out one or two different apps. Um, and now we've sort of gone to a combination of the two. And we're still trying to figure out what product management means for us um, this year. Um, just because you know we've gotten a lot bigger and we're trying to make it make ways of managing with so many people and still keeping the momentum going. Um, and you know, we're, we're doing fine right now, but you know, we're not doing as well as we used to, you know, 
three or four years ago with 200 people less, obviously. Um, so there's, I think there's still a lot of ways to tackle that. We're still trying to figure out. Um, but I think, you know, heading in the right direction. Was that the point when, um, you really realized that you guys had to figure out a more, a more clear way to approach it was around 30 employees. Um, no, I mean, for me, um, I think there's probably a couple different places where things got really, um, I don't know how to describe it. Flying by the seat of our pants, I guess. Um, right around 75 employees started to get a little bit hairy. Um, I think that was, I think in hindsight, moving from 50 to 75 employees, somewhere around there, we ended up stopping this whole idea that one person had to be involved in everything. So we started breaking up into teams. Um, before then, we we had teams, but they're very fluid and you'd bounce around sometimes every week to different teams, different projects. And right around 75 people, it got to the point where like, okay, we need to settle down and realize this is your project. This is what you're working on. This is your primary responsibility. And that brought with a whole bunch of different frustrations and frictions as people, you know, didn't want to be pigeonholed into one specific um, perspective. So that was kind of um, tricky to try and, you know, mesh with that new line of thinking um, beyond that, probably, I don't know, 150, maybe 190, 170, somewhere around there. Um, just as it started getting, um, just bigger. Um, I guess that's, you know, the whole Dunbar's number effect. Um, when you, you get past that point where you can physically, um, most average people can't remember and have personal conversations with every single person past 130, 140. Um, and that just became tricky because then you have to start relying upon process and start figuring out, you know, how do we make teams? How do we make, um, you know, project management guidelines that make sense in a, a team of 200 people, 250 people, 300, 400 people. So there really is something to that Dunbar's number, the <sighs> mythical hacker news number. <laughs> I think so. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily, I don't know what it is. Um, but we just started seeing, just points of friction, like people started getting frustrated on not being able to move forward as much. And it's, mm. I think it, it, it comes out in a lot of different areas that you wouldn't necessarily think like Dunbar's number is much more people focused. Like, Oh, I won't know John across the company anymore. Right. Fine. Like I don't care about John across the company because I don't <laughs> deal with him on a day to day basis. Like it seems like a really strange thing to focus on. But the reason why people focus on is that it, it causes all these other things to happen. Um, for us, a lot of the problem was, you know, my team is forging ahead on, you know, direction a, and we're blocked by two other teams, um, you know, direction B and C. And it's, it's more just timing and stuff. And timing is a lot easier when you have everyone, you know, that mental model in your head and so on. So, um, you know, Dunbar's number is sneaky, but in, different perspectives that you don't necessarily see obviously right away. Hmm. One of the, the things that kind of stood out from your presentation on how GitHub no longer works uh, was the fact that you guys are now mostly t deploying um, internally instead of using external beta testers. Uh, at what point did that switch where you guys had the volume that you could actually source feedback from other teams? Um, it's a good question. I know, I mean, we've been doing external betas probably since I started, you know, at 10 people and stuff. We'd always have friends at GitHub that, you know, we'd hack on stuff and see what they think. 
Um, even back then, I don't think betas were necessarily as helpful because you get a lot of, um, you know, normally with betas, you think of like the typical people who like your company, like your product, but you know, they want to see like the newest and greatest stuff, which is fine, but they're not necessarily the best beta testers. Even our friends, you know, they'd be like, okay, yeah, I like this or no, this isn't that good, but they wouldn't be able to go into specifically why, uh, they like or dislike that. Um, and we just found with employees, especially in our company where we can dog food the entire product, um, people will go into great detail about how much we're, you know, destroying their worldview by adding this feature to GitHub. <laughs> um, and they end up giving us too much feedback. So that's a different problem, but <laughs> it's a good problem to have. Um, so I don't know, maybe around like 50 people or so, you start getting outside of these normal, you know, probably for us, maybe around 50 people or so. Um, before that, literally everything that we made, we would use um, just because that's the nature of you know the product. We weren't necessarily going out on a limb and, you know, at that point we were kind of all Ruby developers. So our line of, um, thinking is kind of the same, but, mm. um, certainly around, you know, 30 to 70 people, we started hiring a lot more, you know, windows people, people use Java in the past and, you know, for GitHub, you know, that had different, you know, software development practices. Um, you know, people, how they release code is different. Um, so even earlier on, we started talking to other people and getting valuable feedback from the rest of the company because they worked in different ways. They used our product differently. Um, and that became super um, helpful as well. If you were to to start GitHub um, again, right, and go back to 10 people, what would be the tech stack you'd use today? Probably the same thing. Um, I mean, we're mostly Ruby. And then when Ruby's too slow, we just write it in C or something comparable, Go, or something like that. Um, man, I, I, I love it. For the longest time, everyone gave us crap for writing in Ruby. It was <laughs> slow and stuff. And it's like, no, we, we have to shell out to Git for a lot of different things. And you know, Git is looking at stuff on disk, which is so much slower than Ruby. Ruby's hardly <laughs> ever a blocker. And you know, Ruby's, I love it. It's, it, it's fun to code in. It's super interesting. Um, you know, the, the only difference that we've probably made over time is that we've been able to rely upon um, different um, libraries that we've written. So instead of shelling out to Git directly, we wrote libgit2, which is an open source um, uh, library, mostly written in C, so it's really fast. So we can use stuff like that. Um, and then the other thing that we sort of changed over time is that our stack became much simpler. Um, earlier on, we'd start using a lot more databases, a lot more different technologies and stuff. Um, and man, now it's, you know, we just shove everything on MySQL and use the database <laughs> or, you know, the, the dumbest, stupidest technologies are probably the best in the world. Um, they're slow, they're easy to understand, and, you know, they've been built to last. So were you guys experimenting to find the best solution or more of like the engineering, like curiosity? I think it's a healthy, healthy dose of both. Um, I think, I mean, there's certainly stuff where, you know, we'd start something in one database because, you know, we got real benefit out of that. Um, you know, it could do a certain operation a lot faster than we would otherwise. Um, but I think after a certain point, um, if you have a really popular project, you're going to have to deal it with levels of scale that, um, you know, just mean that you have to think about projects differently and speed isn't necessarily, you know, it's obviously super important, but 
it's way more important to make sure that you're up all the time, uh, that you're not going down every couple of weeks, that you can quickly scale it out and you know buy more machines to make it a lot easier to scale out. Mm. Um, it's turns out it's a lot easier to scale actual hardware than it is to actually you know plan out on a board an elaborate you know database design structure and everything with a whole bunch of moving parts. Um, so yeah, we you know we just had one. Um, there's a piece of technology we've been using for a while, and we're going to launch a new feature on it, um, which would have greatly increased our dependency on that uh, piece of technology. And then we're kind of just like, well, MySQL has been in development for a decade or two now. So this new one has been in development for like two years. And okay. it turns out that a decade of development makes it pretty robust at this point. So we just ended up switching it over to MySQL. Interesting. Yeah. Um, it's almost contrary to what a lot of us would like to do. <laughs> just yeah, with all I the mean, new stuff, but new stuff is fun, but, um, being up all the time is fun too. So. Yeah. <laughs> so something that you did early on was a lot of giving talks and a lot of slide decks. Um, are all of the slide decks on your speaker deck account from a talk you've given, or do you just make them outside? Yeah, that they're team? all, uh, I don't, Talks are so stressful for me, so I I don't do an actual talk unless I'm planning to give it somewhere. So, and I, I don't know the your early role at GitHub or your current role was as an engineering hire, but I've seen you much more as a culture hire um, in terms of spreading the way that GitHub works and um, the things that you do, the cool bits about the culture. I feel like it's had a huge deal to do with the way that you guys recruit. Is that a part of everyone's role at GitHub or is that something that you just settled into? That is definitely not a predetermined role. Um, it's it's kind of strange looking back. Like I was hired on as a developer on our enterprise product. Um, and I did that for a year or two. And at that point when I was working on uh, what would become GitHub Enterprise, um, I mean, the founders were always, you know, speaking on GitHub stuff at conferences or not even GitHub stuff, just giving talks at conferences and after about a year or so working at github i started getting burned out on enterprise software big surprise Um, and i started working on different projects and i saw like the founders had sort of stopped giving public talks because they were worried about you know this quickly growing company that they had to manage Um, and that was something that i was kind of interested in so i started giving a few talks um, definitely not about you know, no one will ever believe me, but I really didn't want to give talks for the purposes of recruiting. Like every time someone calls me an evangelist, like I cringe because that, you know, it's weird. Like I talk about how we work because this stuff is super fascinating to me. Like I, I hated how I worked at my previous company. Um, mm-hmm. I love all the people there, but I just thought they were completely insane. And part of what <laughs> I wanted to talk about was I, you know, I saw how GitHub worked and it finally gotten to the point where it really interested me like there was you know so much flexibility and you can work in these cool ways so much reliance on chat and stuff like hubot and that's really why i wanted to talk about so i ended up in this weird kind of role where i would talk about github a lot and kind of be known for talking about github but it wasn't you know that was a nice kind of side benefit of of the talks um so it wasn't really on purpose i kind of spent like a year or two as that kind of be my main role just because you know I like to talk about that stuff. Um, but you know, I kind of, you know, the last, this year in particular, I've sort of gone back to being a real developer and, 
you know, instead of having to talk about doing work, I can finally do work for a while. So that's been kind of exciting too. Well, that's awesome. So where can everyone keep up with you online? Um, Twitter, twitter.com slash Holman, or just my website, zachholman.com or speaking.io is my site for public speaking, which I just started working on something else last night for it. So hopefully I'll do more stuff on that. Nice. All right. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. This is fun. Thanks for listening to another episode of the rocket ship podcast. If you haven't yet pop open iTunes and subscribe to be notified of future episodes. We have some really great ones lined up. And while you're there, leave us a review. We really appreciate each and every one of them. Long days full of loud thoughts and long silence. Somewhere between living life and lying lifeless. Maybe I'm a giant under views, microscopic. All eyes on me, feeling like I'm Tupac on a fucking iris. My likeness is like sneezing from infected sinus. Sick as fuck, ironic. I was born with bronchitis. And I keep it 300 like I'm that nigga Leonidas. Figures why I spit like a fucking Spartan with laryngitis. I'm just a nigga in need of some refinement. Sometimes wish I had TV Monday's eyes. Cause all I see in this world A lot of bullshit behind it Don't believe me as consumed so much Trayvon's justice is hiding Fuck it, I'm flying Levitating to my next door Feeling out of place Big fish around the tadpole Or like some pussy niggas All around an asshole Either way I am the ladder Something like a Gyarados Go over niggas' heads Like luggage up on a plane Do my thought process Got me higher than they losing angels I'm in it Drive me love you in a world From different angles Asking myself if what I see is something I can handle Riding my bike with no handlebars Effortlessly elevating echelons Real shit, a degenerate Who's so bizarre I guarantee you couldn't walk far Try modeling my shoes down the boulevard I did Typical dead Lost in the grand scheme of things I'm a king Fuck a throne who needs a seed When you busy running sheet If you don't see that You can catch a couple guillotines When you breathing that Matter of fact Really matter, don't matter I'm a rapping rapper Punching rappers in the bladders Piss off, little nigga Absolutely me and Carmack Dopely, interact Nigga, this that Eleven chap of the ten crack commandments Figure that, uh, Damn it You get it? Cause it's like some new shit